This week on the 1044, the CCJ staff bids adieu to a wild and strange year by recapping trucking's highlights from the roller coaster ride of freight demand and per mile rates, the steps that carriers took and are still taking to adapt in the middle of the virus outbreak, the trends in technology and equipment, a few major regulatory actions by the USDOT, and finally, here at year end, carriers transporting the loads of vaccines that likely will help the world crawl out of this mess. To get through all of that, we're ditching our usual format and going all in on uh, year in review this week. Hey everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the 1044, a weekly webisode and podcast from the editors here at CCJ, Overdrive, and Truck Parts Service. I'm James Gillette and my co-host on the other side is Jason Cannon, editor of CCJ. To catch the latest 1044 each week, subscribe to CCJ's YouTube channel or find us in your uh, preferred podcast listening app and subscribe there too. Jason, are you ready to put this year to bed and see what's on deck next year? You know, all things considered, my 2020 could have been significantly worse, but I doubt either one of us really went into 2020 last January thinking that the best we would be able to do this year would just be to make it all the way to the end unscathed. Uh, You know, it's a turbulent year if that's the case. Uh, So kicking off this year in review on the lighter and let's say the more normal side of 2020, uh, Jason, what are some of the highlights in the equipment space, which is something you focus on uh, and keep an eye on uh, year round? Um, Any new trucks or, or any other news that you think stood out this year? You know, I think the low-hanging fruit answer here is the continued march toward electrification. Volvo, with its VNR Electric, they announced plans to kick off commercial production starting next year. Uh, Kenworth and Peterbilt both showcased new electric models. Max spent most of this year testing its electric LR in New York, and Freightliner has cruised right through 500,000 miles in real-world operation. As far as Newsmaker goes, you've got Trayton finally buying out Navistar, and then there's the public rise and fall of Nikola. As far as equipment highlights go, let me hit you with a curveball here because it's something I think probably flew under the radar this year, at least from a truck standpoint, and that's been the renewed focus on work trucks. Mack sort of got the ball rolling with the debut of its Class 6-7 entry back in February, and the Mack MD brings Mack back into the medium-duty segment, which they had left in 2003 after a brief run with the Freedom model. Then you've got Western Star, who brings in the new-to-market 49X, which is a technology-rich and more driver-friendly version of its 4900. Uh, International has has sort of dusted off its HX series, and that's just five years after that truck made its debut. Again, there's a lot of focus here on tech and driver amenities. Meanwhile, Ford and Chevrolet, with special emphasis here on Ford, they've really targeted the vocational segment the last couple of years. Previously, you didn't see a lot of integration between the vocational truck and the -the over-the-road units. You know, work truck was basically a steering wheel, three pedals, and some switches, um, but you know, just like everywhere else, there's been a greater emphasis on recruiting and retention, ergonomics and safety technology, and all that sort of filtered down into the job site. Speaking of technology, let's check in with CCJ Senior Editor Aaron Huff. Aaron handles our technology beat, and I'd like to get his thoughts on how 2020 shaped up. Aaron, over the last several years, the big technology news in trucking has sort of been mandated, kind of like the shift to ELDs, the required stability control systems and such, but that's really not been the case this year. Even still, the transportation industry has went through some dramatic shifts. What are some of the opportunities for technology suppliers that they've been able to throw the transportation industry a lifeline? Sure. So I think uh, the the down portion of the cycle, as we all know, started in mid-March, where transportation companies had to adjust quickly to the shelter-in-place rules by governments to limit the spread of coronavirus. Most uh, most fleets uh, took proactive measures to restrict in-person contact in the office and with drivers. 
Uh, being able to remotely hire and onboard drivers became a critical need, along with finding ways to, to be more efficient in the tough economy. Uh, the the COVID-19 crisis really increased demand for technology that can digitize the driver hiring and training process. Uh, we saw the use of, of integrated driver applicant and, and training platforms where drivers are able to complete an online job application and then as soon as a hiring decision is made, uh, their, their information auto-populates digital employment forms that they can complete online as well as uh, gives them an orientation training packet to complete online. Um, that way, that when drivers come to the office, they can get the keys to their truck without having to sit through a classroom. And uh, some companies I've spoke to um, say that, that they have their, their managers actually watch the driver through, a, a vi through the video telematics system. They, they, will, they will monitor the driver's um, first you know, few days on the job really closely using that, that technology um, so they don't have to do, do ride-alongs. Some companies still do ride-alongs, but, but that technology has really helped in that regard. And also, another, another big trend is, um, just to give a little background, for years, companies wanted to have an, an, a fully digital end-to-end -end freight transaction, but uh, that has only been possible recently where because, of, because companies have developed the electronic bill of lading and electronic proof of delivery. Um, so during the early stages, fleet managers had to come up with a way for drivers not to touch things, right? Pens, paper, and not even go into buildings where they had to uh, pick up um, the paper documents or have them signed. So several technology providers developed, like I, I mentioned, the, the electronic POD and the electronic BOL so that so drivers could not have to touch paperwork. And then when they arrive to make a delivery, they can send the proof of delivery for signature um, actually maybe email it to the, to the receiver as opposed to have them sign it um, right next to them. So that these tools have worked in unison with mobile and back office platforms to eliminate paper shipping documents and, and provide the tools necessary for zero contact freight transactions. And they've also helped to increase um, cash flow and, and efficiencies as well. So it's been, been uh, just a win all, all the way around. Aaron, we've seen carriers downsize this year while we've seen others expand, uh, but the need to improve safety and compliance, of course, went unchanged. What new technologies or services uh, have helped fleets sharpen their focus on safety and compliance amid all the chaos? So, as you, as you mentioned, safety is always a top concern for fleet owners given industry trends showing a year-over-year -year increase in crash fatalities that involve large trucks. And also the, uh, the headwinds of accident litigation are just growing stronger. So one of, the, one of the challenges is that driver safety and compliance data is pouring in from all these different systems, such as driver qualification files, ELDs, vehicle telematics, video event recorders, but rarely does all this data come through a single source. So what, what, what fleets have really focused on this year is, is using technology to really channel all that data and unite it in a common database so they can have real-time anal analysis and automate workflows. Another option is to use managed services, which is another is a fancy term for outsourcing. So you have companies um, get the ELD data, get the driver safety data, analyze it, put it together, and then give fleets um, action items. Uh, so more, more fleets are using these managed services from companies like JJ Keller, Fleetworthy, etc., to uh, to really just focus on on the items they need to do and get, and 
remove all the, the headache of the busy work. So outsourcing has grown um, because fleets have also removed, sorry, have they have uh, moved their offices to a, a virtual work environment. And when that happens, you can't have paper because you can't hand paper around the office. You have to, um, you know, do it virtually. So also video telematics systems have new, new self-coaching features that give drivers real-time alerts for risky behaviors like distraction, fatigue, uh, following distance. And that, that, ha that helps fleets have less uh, coaching events so they can, drivers can self-correct themselves. So those things and other, other things have really helped fleets um, become more efficient and effective at their safety, uh, safety and compliance management. Aaron, based on what you've seen evolve this year and, and what you know about what lies ahead, what do you expect for 2021? Well, a, a lot of it will be a continuation of, of what we saw in 2020. Um, you know, video, video telematics, that's probably the, the fastest growing technology right now. Um, um, worldwide, America has like 87% of the, the video telematics subscriptions, but only currently 5% of those of those companies are actually using video, but that but so there's a lot of room to expand there. Um, another big trend, and I'm sure Jason, you've covered this, is that vehicle manufacturers or OEMs are are embedding telematics devices in their vehicles, and so here next year, I think fleets when they when they buy vehicles, they can choose which telematics platform they can subscribe to because the hardware will already be in the vehicle. So whether they want to subscribe to Omnitrax or Geotab or um, you know, Trimble, others, they'll have that choice right from the factory. So they won't have to install soft, sorry, install hardware or software. So that will, uh, I think that'll be a big trend. You think um, you probably see, probably see the same thing in, in your world. Thanks, Aaron. And please be sure to check out Aaron's coverage of the trucking technology space on ccjdigital.com. This has been Aaron's beat for 20 years, and he's really plugged into how technology enables everything from streamlining businesses to improving safety and driver retention. Now, moving on to regulations, James. What's happened that's noteworthy this year? And I can think of one really big one right off, and that's the DOT finalizing our brand new hours of service rules. Yeah, that's obviously definitely a big one, Jason. Um, this, the first significant hours of service change in some time uh, and, and really it's sort of a new bag of tools for fleets and drivers to use to manage their daily and weekly schedules. Uh, and that rule took effect September 29th with the biggest impacts, in my opinion anyway, around the 30-minute break and the 14-hour rule. Uh, the rule was just dropped in May as a final rule about 18 months after USDOT uh, started working on it in late 2018. And uh, we reported on all of the changes uh, in depth on both CCJ and Overdrive. So you can head to uh, ccjdigital.com or overdriveonline.com and search hours of service. Uh, we've got a few in-depth explainers uh, on what changes in the rule uh, and, and how fleets and drivers can um, manage those, those new changes in their operations. It's kind of long to spell out in this podcast, but uh, I'll drop a few links in the show notes on YouTube and uh, in the podcast as well, so you can check those out. Speaking of those explainers and Q&As, Jason, uh, that was kind of one of the early themes around the hours of service changes, uh, seemingly a lot of initial confusion among those who were actually on the ground using them, and that would be fleets and drivers. Yeah, James, and another early issue that was identified actually comes from the ELD providers themselves who had to play catch-up to the regulations. A lot of drivers and fleets reported being unable to use the regulations as they were written because the ELD software was either buggy or it was just wrong according to the regs. 
but the ELD makers were pretty quick to roll out updates in the first few weeks, and everything seems to be sailing pretty smoothly right now. Several ELD makers that we've talked to so far have said that uptake of the regulations has been sort of slow, but it's definitely noticeable. And there's been a big dip in reported 30-minute break violations with the regulations being loosened on that front. Yeah, so the other big regulation this year that took effect was the uh, CDL Drug and Alcohol Clearinghouse. Um, and it was sort of washed over by all the news and effects around the pandemic in the early part of the year and even as the year drug on, uh, hours of service regulations. Um, but it's still a big change, and it's one that uh, has already had a big impact uh, on trucking and specifically the uh, available drivers that are in the market. Um, you know, we still don't exactly know the effects that the clearinghouse has had on the driver pool uh, from a broader perspective, since right now it's kind of hard to untangle that issue from the wave of layoffs that we saw in the pandemic. Um, but from the data that FMCSA has, uh, has published through November, uh, more than 50,000 uh, instances have been reported to the clearinghouse among some 47,000 drivers, which means 47,000 drivers so far through November have been flagged in the system and presumably have been taken off the road. Yeah, that's a little bit more than, say, 4000 a month. And even though it's obviously a great thing those drivers aren't behind the wheel right now, yeah, at least until they go through the, um, the, the return to duty process, it's still a big headwind against an industry that's always struggling to catch its breath in the driver hiring space. All right, so we've saved this topic for last and probably for good reason. It's the huge overarching theme of the year, and that's the coronavirus, COVID-19. And we did talk to Aaron a little bit about some of the practical changes that fleets have implemented uh, in response to the virus and protections for drivers from exposure. And those are obviously big themes in all of this. But the other big theme is obviously uh, the business component of the virus and how it sort of reshaped the economy in just the course of several months. Uh, and so what we saw in trucking was after the initial big dramatic freight fallout in April and May, uh, which in some ways seems like a distant memory now, uh, you know, fleets were slashing driver jobs and rates were being regularly reported in the $1 to $1.50 mile range. Um, and some major publicly traded carriers announced that executives had taken voluntary pay cuts uh, to help bridge their fleet through all of the, uh, the chaos back then. Um, but then, you know, freight started coming back in June and uh, uh, driven heavily on the heels of, of uh, an economy slowly reopening. And, uh, and a big boom in online shopping, either out of boredom or necessity, uh, or in lieu of people going out to eat and spending their money at restaurants or going on vacation. That was kind of one of the big takeaways. Uh, and it created something of a, a bit of a freight boom for a couple months, leading all the way through the big Christmas crunch that we just saw over the last couple of weeks. Um, and through all of that, since about June, with capacity out of whack and freight patterns really changing, it stressed the entire supply chain. And with the supply chain in stress and out of whack, uh, rates shot up and sort of a dramatic reversal from what we saw early in the pandemic, especially across uh, certain lanes and freight sectors. Yeah, and talk about dramatic reversals. Those improved rates that you mentioned lend themselves to improved truck orders. Think about this. 2020 saw two of the lowest total order months on record for trucks, but it also cracked 40,000 units in a single month for the first time in two years. Both of those opposite ends of the spectrum happened in the exact same year. Fleet confidence remains solid entering 2021, and carriers are already getting their orders in early for next year deliveries. So there's definitely a lot of optimism heading into the new year. Jason, before we go real quick, uh, what's one theme that you're looking at to see how it develops in 2021 that we didn't talk about so far uh, or that we skipped over too quickly? 
Uh, I've actually got a couple of quick ones, James. Uh, let's circle back to the electric truck real quick. Uh, 2021 and even the buildup toward 2022, which is when production is set to begin on Freightliner's eCascadia, I think that's going to be the thing this year, or this coming year, excuse me. Uh, you know, this is, and also, is this the year we finally get Tesla's thrice-delayed semi? I mean, we've heard so much about this truck, and then it just kind of goes away. I haven't heard anything about it recently, and usually when I do hear something, it's because it's been delayed again. Um, but deliveries on Tesla Semi are supposed to start in 2021. We'll just kind of have to see. Also, keep your eye on a resurgence in autonomous driving technology in the coming year. Navistar and Trayton each picked up a share of Too Simple in 2020, and Freightliner, whether it's in its stake from Torque Robotics or through its partnership with Waymo, is certainly forging a path ahead. So I feel like there's a bubble here that's only going to get bigger in 2021. So what about you, James? What do you have on your radar screen for 2021? So right off the bat, I'm keeping an eye on two things. Uh, the first is what's happening with California's AB5 law. Uh, that was something that saw a lot of action at the very end of 2019 and right at the beginning of 2020. Um, I think it was actually on New Year's Eve or just within a day or two of New Year's Eve of 2019 that a federal judge blocked California from enforcing AB5 on the trucking industry, which meaning, uh, which which meant in effect that carriers could uh, continue to work with independent contractor drivers, uh, especially to set up like leased owner operators, which seemed uh, at that time pretty much imperiled by that law. Um, so now the decision is in front of the Ninth Circuit as to whether uh, to uphold that injunction while the case is heard in full. Um, so I, I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, um, both that Ninth Circuit decision and then the rest of the case, how it might play out in 2021 and then again, uh, you know, moving into 2022. Uh, and the other thing, Jason, is the next round of stimulus cash from Washington uh, is about to be released. Uh, we saw carriers flock to those initial rounds of uh, paycheck protection program money that's uh, colloquially known as PPP. Um, according to the data that you and I compiled earlier this year, uh, with the raw data coming from the Treasury Department, more than 100,000 trucking companies sought funds from the PPP, uh, ranging from just a few dollars, like literally a few dollars, I think the lowest we saw was $10, to as much as a few million dollars uh, to help keep their businesses afloat in the worst days of the pandemic uh, back in April and May and then into the, the summer months. Uh, so that was uh, some $12 billion that trucking companies uh, received in uh, PPP money. So that's obviously a big sum. And so I think the question is, will carriers and owner operators seek that money again, uh, especially if it seems like the economic uh, recovery is slowing down uh, over the last six weeks or so. And so I think that'll be something to watch right out of the gate. Well, all right, everybody, that does it for this edition of the 1044. Uh, we wish you all a very happy new year and uh, please stay safe and we'll see you in 2021.